Good morning. Wow. That, that separates, doesn't it? When you get rid of the little ones. Good to have you here. And just to let you know, um, <clears throat> the survey is, that uh, is being putting out, is, that is being put out there so we can do a bit of work before the vision night, uh, the vision Sunday. We need to get some information so that uh, we can speak into uh, Vision Sunday. So that's coming out at one o'clock. If you can get through it and send it back as quickly as possible, that would be fantastic. Then we get to work through uh, the questions that are being asked. I need the clicker. Where's that? That's okay. We are speaking further, or I am speaking further, into the theme that we've been working through for the year, Forward Together. And it's called, is it going to go? Yep. Where do you find your identity? It's what we're looking at this morning. Where do you find your identity? Now, I'm speaking into this at quite a personal level because this is something that caught me out, caught me unaware. And it it almost, it smashed me, basically, where I had my identity placed. I'm going to talk very personally about this, but I, I get this sense as I was sitting this week with God, where do we go with this? What do you want me to speak on? He uh, told me to put something else aside because I think it was two or three weeks ago I said I was going to do part two to a sermon. And he said, I want you to speak on this. Because I've spoken to people, I've heard conversations, and this was such a major change in my life. I never knew it was there. And it caught me broadsided, basically. Took me out. And in... The, the freedom that I've received from this has helped me to move forward. And I think that's what God wants for us all. Where do you find your identity? Or who do you turn to or what do you do, turn to to define who you are? Now, the reason I want us to consider this question this morning is because your answer will determine how you live out your life and to what extent you'll display Jesus throughout your world. So it's quite an important question to ask. How you live out your identity will affect your relationships. And I believe it's crucial to the very core of our being, defining who we are and how we move forward as a church, but also individually, and also how you move forward collectively in your family. So let me ask you, what's the first question that uh, you usually ask a person after you've, got, after you've got their name? How are you? How are you? And then what? <laughs> Where are you from? What do you do? What do, you do? Yeah. I, maybe it's a bloke thing. But it usually is the first thing I ask. G'day, I'm Ken, I'm so-and-so, what do you do? And it tends to come out that, you know, you, you, you tend to say, well, I am this. And I, I think it's pretty fair to say that we do define ourselves by what we do. And, and so my answer can, it can be, who I'm t- depends who I'm talking to. I'll say I'm a pastor or I'm a minister because some people don't know what a pastor is. Or sometimes I just answer I'm an electrician without, 
without starting with the pastor thing, it depends on the people group that I'm with. But I've all of a sudden defined myself by what I do. Um, the problem is that the statement has the potential to seep into the very fibre of our being. And we start to live our lives by it. In fact, we start to define ourselves by what we do. It describes us, it labels us, it characterises us, and it starts to become our identity. I think it's interesting, when I worked with the Aborigines up north in, uh, on Groot Island, the first questions they ask when they meet you is, who's your mother? Who's your father? Who's your brothers? Who's your uncle? Who's your auntie? And they go through the whole gamut of your relationships. Now, mine's not that long. <laughs> But you see what they're doing? They're actually defining you by your relationships. It's a beautiful thing. But that's not how we do it, I don't think, in our culture, in our Western society. And the problem with defining ourselves by this, and I really do think this is a danger, is what I do becomes who I am. What I do becomes who I am. Now, there's a second one closely linked to this, as you'll see up there, and it's about what others say about me. I am what others speak about me. I am what others speak about me. You're a good mum. Or you're a good student. Or you're a good citizen. Or you're a good organiser. You're a good listener. (laughs) You're a good fill-in-the-blank. And we kind of get a bit puffed up about that, don't we? Yeah, I am. Not that bad. And then there's this third one, which I've got, and I think it draws out the statement even further. It comes from my possessions. I am what I have. I am what I have. So my identity is in the house or the suburb I live in. Or maybe it's your children that define you. Maybe it's the car you drive or the school you you attended, the education you received, the health that you have. Maybe it's your good looks. See, there's lots of that here. Lots of good looks. Or maybe it's your race. Or the citizenship you have. You know, I'm an Aussie. I can be quite proud of that. I define myself by what I have. And the crazy thing about, uh, crazy thing about all this is that a lot of your energy goes into propping it all up to keep you at that level of what it defines you as or how you define yourself. So you spend a lot of time. You spend a lot of emotion. You spend a lot of wealth. And a lot of ego, defining yourself by what you do, or what others say about you, or what you possess. It's very tiring. And then the opposite can occur. When the power of my identity is either lost, or it starts to become negative, then I start to go into this spiral downwards, and a heaviness and a conflict starts to arise. And, and that in itself can become very consuming, very consuming. You know, people can be very cruel, even people who are very close to you. Those who you'd expect to care for you the most can say things that don't prop up what you are defining yourself as. And it hurts. And then we can place enormous pressure unknowingly upon people to fill us up, to fill up our identity. And we put it on those around us. You need to prop me up. And that is a 
not right for what we do to them. And what happens is that our world starts to crumble. So what happens when your children are not perfect, if you think that's what defines you? What happens when you do really good things and no one notices or gives you any attention for it? Or what happens when you reach out to people and they don't respond in the way that you want them to and you expect them to? You just did a good thing to them. And what happens if you lose your job? You become unemployed, if that's what you define yourself as. What happens when people don't recognise your talents? Or what happens when you're criticised? Or what happens when you're not complimented? These things start to bring you down. Many Christians, I believe, create their identities in the light of what they do. What others say about them or what they own. And their expectations are not meant. They start to to have conflict within themselves and it comes out in really ugly ways. Now I say that because that's what happened to me. It started to come out in really ugly ways because I never saw this coming of where I was I finding my own identity. And it's all wrong. In fact, it's very tiring. It's very draining propping up your identity this way. And it's fraught with danger. And, and it, can, it can almost, it leads you to dying within, if you know what I'm saying. There's this sense of death within who I am, what, I'm, what, I, what I am. And it's this lie that consumes you. Now, Jesus was not immune to being questioned about his very identity. Not immune to it at all. Look at this, at how the devil questioned him. This uh, is a verse from Matthew 4, 3 to 6. And it happens twice. And it's said when Jesus is taken out into the desert for those 40 days to be tempted. And the devil says to Jesus when he's led out into that wilderness to be tempted, he says, if you are the son of God. If you are the son of God. You all know that verse. You've heard it said probably many times. But can you recall what Jesus was told by his father at his baptism just prior to going out into that desert? Remember he comes up out of the water? And what happens? In the That's right. The dove, in the form of the dove, comes down and settles on him. And there's those words that Steve just read out. This boom from heaven is God's voice. And he says, you are my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. You are my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. But can you see what the devil was questioning Jesus' identity on here? He's asking, who are you? Who are you? If you are the Son of God. And of course, Jesus' response in both words and actions can be paraphrased, I think, this way. Basically, and he says this through the next three years of his ministry, I am God's beloved Son. Exactly who he called out when I rose up out of the water. And Jesus says to the devil, I know who I am. I know who I am. And when Jesus was under question to answer, who am I? He responded with the words of the Father, it is written. He didn't have to come back and prove himself. 
when the devil questions him those three times out there, he says, it is written, and he booms back to the devil, this is who God says. It's not about me anymore. This is about my heavenly father. He's the one that sets my agenda. He's the one that has my identity, and he is the one I speak out from. When Jesus was under question to answer, who am I? He responded with the words, it is written. And, you know, this is what allowed him to walk the walk and talk the talk of the, human, of, of, uh, the God-man, I think, as the human on earth in his, his 100% humanity, 100% godliness. He was the beloved son of the Father. Now, Jesus went through so much suffering and pain and we've shared communion this morning. In the light of that, David brought us that, 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 that message into sharing communion together. He went through the spitting and the whipping and the jeering and the rejection. He went through the questioning. He, he, he did it all and he did not fail at any level. He endured it all because I believe he knew his identity. He was the beloved. And he was able to stand strong on who God set him there as, the beloved. Jesus' identity was defined by being the beloved. And that's how God loves you if you are his. That's how God loves you if you are his. God loves you immensely. Now, you kind of go, how can I forget that? But I don't know if that's what seeps into our bones. Because when we start to define ourselves by other things, that identity gets pushed aside. He loves you, I believe, from the place of perfect love. How can I say that? Because God is love. So when he says, I love you, he in the full embodiment of love, God is love, says, I love you, that's where he loves you from. The problem with our humanity is I can say to Fiona, I love you, and I can fail. Because I'm not perfect. But when God says, I love you, he says it from perfect love. And that's an immense amount of love. Immense amount of love. And he loves you that much that he desires to have you live and love him. From his love, God the Father gave us his son as a sacrifice for you to bring about the way to be loved by him. He's made the way to be loved by him through Jesus. But have a look at these wonderful verses. John uh, 16, 27 recorded this. Now, this is Jesus' prayer. But he says this, For the Father himself loves you. Because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. The Father himself loves you. And again, when Jesus was praying, next couple of verses on, he says, The glory that you have given me, he's talking to the Father, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. In them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. What amazing words, just those last, that last line. 
and loved them even as you loved me. Just as the Father loved the Son, he loves you. You need to sit in that truth. You are deeply loved by God. You've got to let that sink in. As the Father loves the Son, so the Father loves you. And that's why Paul could use the same word about you as God used at his baptism. Paul says this, be imitators of God as beloved children. Beloved children. You are his beloved. And again, beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. Because we shall see him as he is. Beloved, there's the word again. We are the beloved sons and daughters of a heavenly father. Now, the Greek word for beloved is the word agapetos. You can hear the word love in it, can't you? Agape. Beloved is the agapetos. We are the agapetos of God. It's used of Christ and it's used of you. And when Jesus rose up out of the water, he says, this is my beloved son. He says the same to you. You are my beloved son. You are my beloved daughter in me. That's where we get our identity. Our identity, your identity, is in being the beloved of God. Not in what you do, not in what others say about you, and not in what you possess. Now the reason it's so important that we know and understand this truth, I believe, is because it is such deep ramifications for how we move forward in our relationships, individually and collectively as a church, which is what we're doing in this series, Forward Together. You see, this truth touches us at all level, and it touches us on how we treat people well, which is where we're going in this series that we're doing. How do we treat others? Well, if you know where you sit, in your identity with God, you will then reach out and treat others the same way. That's why you need to know where your identity lies. When we get this right, you will live differently. You will live in the freedom and the purpose that Jesus offers. Because it's out of you knowing that you are the beloved, you will find freedom. And you will find the very purpose, the very fingerprint of God upon your life to do what he wants while you're this side of heaven and I'm sure that's what you're looking for I know that's what I'm wanting to do this was my own personal revelation this was my freedom this was my release now the reason as I said I've been led to preach on this today is because I got caught out I didn't see this coming. Falsehood, as it was, sneaked in to my thinking and I was deceived. And it happened so quickly. This truth, I am my beloved, became overrun by a lie. And my identity was defined by this false love. And the ramifications of that were immense. It affected not just me, it affected my family, it affected my workplace. I just wanted to give up. It took me on this spiral down, went downward. 
But God was very gracious to show me something that was in my life and that I had no clue that it even existed. And that, that's the thing that scares me the most when I look back. I didn't even know it was there. It caught me out. And it had me in, my grip, in its grips and I was moving in its direction, under its power. So that's what I want to show you today. I want to be quite personal. I'm going to be reading out of my journal to show you a little bit of the journey that I was on. But my hunch is that most people will get caught up in this at some level. And we should be asking the Holy Spirit to show us if we are and how we should overcome it. Because that's about getting real and taking action. Getting real is being honest. What is it that defines me, God? How do I define my life? How do I wake up in the morning and get out of bed and walk? What is the words that are over me? And if I need to change, let's do that together. That's why the Holy Spirit's there for us, to change us, to take action. The trigger for me to find freedom out of those chains was when I watched this uh, a video clip by Henry Nguyen. I don't know if you've heard of him. And it's called Being the Beloved. When you get home, look it up on YouTube. It just opened up to me an understanding at the right time. And it triggered me on this to change my direction and to get on a path of recovery. It was the springboard that God used to give me this, this kind of wake-up call and consider where it was I'd, I'd placed and I'd sought my identity and he got me back on track again. And the freedom was again mine. Now, it all started on Tuesday the 28th of January 2014. I know that. Because this was the first day I got back from three weeks holiday. Now, Fiona and I and the, and the kids, we go camping. We normally go for two weeks at Christmas, but this time we went for three weeks. And you know what? Three weeks is fantastic. Now, you might not think camping's fantastic, but for us, having three weeks, that extended week, really allowed me to come back all pumped and fired up for the year ahead. I was the pastor at Hurstville Church of Christ. When I returned, walked into my office, all smiles, bubbly, full of, let's get into the year ahead... I've got it here, this, my hard drive from my computer, was sitting on my desk. And on it was a posted note from my IT guy named John. And it said, basically this thing's stuffed. I can't get it going. You need to send it off to the data recovery centre to see what they can do. And you know, I looked at that and I went... What does that mean? Now, I knew it had been playing up before I went away. But I didn't know that it was useless, <laughs> hopeless. And let me just say, I, it was all downhill from there. It was a terrible position that I got into. I took it off to the data recovery firm and they rang me back a couple of days later to inform me that the hard drive head had physically disintegrated. So that means you can't read what's on the hard drive. Now they said, we're going to try and rebuild it. We'll use some of the, I didn't know any of this, the minor heads to build a new lead head that would bring back. But we're not sure if this will actually work, but we're going to try. Okay? I thought, some hope. 
It might work, they said, no guarantees. Six weeks later, six weeks later, I don't have a computer. Everything I've ever done is in their hands. They ring me and they said, look, we're recovered as much as possible, but they couldn't get it all. My heart's sitting there going, what does that mean? The short story is they're able to recover most of the information prior to my starting at Hurstville four years ago. Um, but anything after the four, anything in the last four years, they couldn't retrieve. Now, just to let you know, everything prior to those four years, I'd backed up at home and I had sitting... <laughs> everything from the last four years of my ministry at Hurstville, they couldn't get. It was gone. Taken from me. Unable to be retrieved. Now, I thought I'd actually had backed it up, and I did. I was backing it up onto the same hard drive which had been partitioned. <laughs> no one told me that. They just said, back it up. And I went, okay. So it was all gone. I was devastated. It meant most of my work from my time here at Hurstville was all gone. And, and I was at the end of myself. You see, in hindsight, it left me so overwhelmed. And I didn't understand this at the time. And this was the journey that God gently took me on. I looked back and it was as if something had died within me. I had just uh, experienced a death, basically. I'll try and explain what I mean by that. You see, all that I'd created in those last four years, all that I'd shared, all that I'd preached, all that I'd taught, all I'd considered and reported on and written about, was all gone. All gone. You see, my identity was defined by my teaching and my preaching, my ability to get behind the pulpit and bring a strong word to the congregation. That's where my identity was. And when that happened, and I tell you what, I didn't see this coming, what I entered into was a deep, deep sadness. A deep, deep sadness. And there was this well, deep well of loss deep within my guts. And the scary thing was, I never realised the depth of how deep that loss was within me until this happened, of how important it was to me that I preached well and received response. You probably wouldn't have seen it. You probably might not have known that this was happening within me. I covered it really well within the church. They had no clue. But I know Fiona could. She did bear the brunt of it. In fact, it got so bad, she ended up phoning the pastor of pastors in, in our movement, Leon Munro, and said, Leon, you need to come over and see Ken because what's happened to him internally is starting to leak out externally and it's not good. She was very wise to do that. So Leon, I met with him and we talked about this. But I still didn't get to the bottom of it. You see, I wanted to throw it all in. I wanted to leave Hurstville. I wanted to leave the ministry. I wanted to go back to electrical. In fact, I wanted to go back to anything. I'll go to Bunnings, which is not the bottom, by the way. It's just it was easy thinking. I love hardware. <laughs> I could sell hardware. I'd be good at that. Just get me out of this. That's where I was at. 
I had no clue where I was going to go, but I just wanted out. And the scary thing was that even though I had all these so-called good reasons for justifying my giving up, I was totally oblivious to the real reason of why I felt this way. It was just not on my radar at all. I had no insight into my world collapsing within me. So after 11 weeks, that's how long Fee had to put up with this, 11 weeks of it slowly building within me like this volcano that was ready to erupt, I went on this spiritual mentoring retreat, which I was doing. It's a course run by ACOM over two and a half years. And it was one of the, the four days away. And I went on this. And it was there that I saw that video by Henry Nguyen. And it was there God was able to speak to me about my identity. It was during those four days I was given the gift of revelation. That's a beautiful thing. When it becomes light and the darkness is consumed by the light. And on the 14th of April, I spent a day with God as he unpacked my grief and he revealed to me what was going on inside of me and what was needed and what I needed to climb out of the mess. So can I read to you how I felt? Um, Just to let you in on really where I was at. Uh, 14th. If it's here, no, it's not going to be here. Sorry, I'm not going to be able to read to you because I cannot find it. These things. Okay, sorry. God does want me to read it. I'm thinking, okay, God, what do I do here? Keep you in suspense, don't I? I asked about why has the loss of my hard drive and the loss of all my work from the last four years affected me so? Why am I feeling angry against the church, devastated like something or someone has died? I am in deep grief and sadness. I'm angry that I have nothing to show for the last four years, even to the point of considering giving up? Why bother with doing work if all that happens is it gets taken from me? What's the use of it? No one else cares. John, he's the IT guy, he doesn't. The ministry team doesn't. So now I'm blaming the elders and and everyone. Where we go, eh? The church doesn't care. No one. I mean, they didn't even know. Here I am sprouting all this. And it can't even be recovered. They try, but the part I need can't be recovered. I feel devastated. I feel rejected. I feel hopeless. I feel abandoned by people. I want to leave the church and I've nothing to show for it or to take with me. Can you hear what I was defining myself by? So I finally sat with God and I've asked him, why do I feel this way? Why has it cut me so deep? Why do I feel so abandoned? Why? 
And in coming before him, he's clearly showed me why. And here it is. I've allowed my work on the hard drive to define me. I am my work. I am my words. I am my presentations, scripts, sermons, talks, video clips, stories, etc., etc. I am what I've created over the last four years and I've stored on that hard drive. You want to know me? Cut me open and look at my work? Read my sermons? Consider my script? I have defined my self-worth by what I have written, recorded and stored. It is my baggage. And if I leave and go somewhere else, then I just take who I am on a disc. I glory in my printed word. I display my being by what I've saved. This is a record of who I am, all that I am, what I believe, a word picture of my self-worth and value. Remove it, lose it, break it, destroy it, jam it, jumble it, stop all access to it, and I'm nothing. I am defined by what I do, what I have done, what I have saved, what others think of me, what I have to show, what I can access and present. Without any of this, I'm just nothing. No wonder I feel like part of me has died, and no one knows, no one cares or asks. No one's even come to my funeral. Where was I? (laughs) It's good to journal, isn't it? I was in a very bad place. Wow. I never knew it had run so deep within me. I am what I do. I am what I own. I am what others say about me. And this is such a lie. A lie that has grown very deep within me. A lie that has encased me and engrossed me. It's grown up within me and it's encapsulated who I am. It is a lie. And it is not spoken by God. God does not define me by what I do, what I have, or what others say about me. God loves me because I am his beloved. He loves me because he loves me. I am defined by who he is and what he says about me. I am his beloved and on me his favour rests, not as a byproduct of anything that I can do, but purely because he is God. There is nothing I can do, nothing others can say about me, nothing I can acquire, own or seek after that would make him desire me more. Where I have defined myself by my works, God defines me by his love for me. And that's why he has redeemed me and seeks to sanctify me all the days of my life. Praise your name, Lord. Thank you. This is where I want to live from as of today. I am his beloved. And that was a revelation I needed to hear. That was a revelation I needed to learn. You know, praise God, he revealed this and he allowed me to see who I really am. As you can see, it all comes down to this question. Where do I find my identity? Where do I find my identity? And basically it's saying, who am I? That's the question I want us all to ask today. Who am I? This is where you have to get real and you've got to ask yourself this question and you've got to take action to get it right, to get it corrected. Because let me say, it might not be in your central vision. It can be so insidious, it can be so deep within you and defining that you don't even know it's there. That's what caught me out. 
I preached for four years and led a church for four years under this lie. And God was gracious to show it to me. And all it took was the hard drive. <laughs> I look back. That's why I, I keep the thing. It sits on my desk. So when I'm preaching now, I look at the hard drive and he says, you remember? It's not about the sermon. It's about me. It's a good illustration for me to have on my desk. A good test to see where your identity lies is next time bitterness arises or heartfelt pain is experienced or hurt is encountered, you need to ask yourself this question. Am I feeling this because it's cutting me at the very core of who I am? Next time you feel let down, next time you feel hurt, ask yourself that question. Stop. Why am I feeling the pain that I'm feeling? See, when you define yourself by anything other than being the beloved son or daughter of God, then you will be let down by people and things around you. And you stop treating people well. Because you've spent all of your energy propping up this false love identity that you have. And this is what I believe Fiona and uh, those closest to me felt. Jesus knew deeply within himself that he was the beloved of God. And that's why he could stand up to the devil's bombardments. And that's what we need. I want to show you just a little three-minute video clip that puts all this together in a very nice package. Let's just watch this. Who am I? Am I what I do? An artist? An accountant? A teacher? A mother? Or am I what I've achieved? An honor student? An MVP? A winner? Am I the things I've done right? Or am I defined by the things I've done wrong? Am I a saint? A sinner? What about what others think of me? Am I all of these things? None of these things? Who am I? How I identify myself determines how I approach life. If I am what I do, I'll always need to do more and achieve more to find my value. If I am what others say, I'll always try to please people instead of my Heavenly Father. But if I listen to who God says I am and embrace His identity in me, I'll find the freedom to live out all He has planned for me. God calls me His child. He says I am wise and restored, that I'm a brand new creation in Christ. I am chosen and holy and blameless before God. He calls me his masterpiece. I am loved by God. He says I am made complete through the grace and mercy of Jesus, my Savior. And when I see myself the way God sees me, I walk with confidence because I trust the one who answers the question, who am I? You are his masterpiece. You are his masterpiece and he gets to be uh, the one that takes you on this journey, this side of heaven. He gets to, to lead you and guide you. But you have to strip away that which you define yourself by. You need to get back to where he calls you. You are my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. You know, where they said this to Jesus, let me ask you, 
Was this said to Jesus before his ministry of three years, uh, uh, 30 years, or after his ministry? When was these words spoken to Jesus? Before his ministry or after his ministry? Before his ministry. You've got to let that sink in. Jesus didn't have to do anything to hear God's statement of love. See, so many of us think we have to do something to get God's love. It's not true. Jesus was told he was the beloved before he even started his ministry. God says, I love you immensely. Before you even do what I want you to do. And God says the same to us. You are loved by God before you do anything. You are his beloved before your birth. And therefore all that you do must be nurtured from being loved by him. You do not need to search any longer for your identity. For it is in Christ that you are the beloved and it is in him all that Christ has done that God is pleased with you. And you need to know this, that the voice that calls you the beloved is the voice of the one who is love. He is the first love. That's the voice that makes this statement to you. The love of our great God. Someone once said, God has given me a heart that only God's love can satisfy. All other loves are only partial. And I think that's where we get ourselves into a mess. Well, that's my problem. You see, I sought my identity, my love, from that which could not fulfill me. Destroy my hard drive and you've destroyed Ken. What takes the place of the hard drive in your life? Is there something that if it was removed, you would collapse? And if there is, that's the getting real and taking action part of this sermon. That's what you need to look at. If you seek your identity in anything but God, then you will never, ever be satisfied because your heart was made for God's love. Every love other than God's love will let you down and will never come up to the standard. So here's that question again. Where do you find your identity? Now, I I would love to challenge you to go home and find a quiet place with God and to ask that very question. I want you to be honest. Ask him, who am I? Who am I? And let him talk to you about that. Let the Holy Spirit reveal the answer to you. If your identity is in I am what I do, I am what people say about me, I am what I have, then your orientation is off course and you need to get back on to the main word of God again. You need to hear afresh the voice of God because anything other than our Heavenly Father's words are really fruitless foundations to build our lives upon. Let's pray. Great God, we do thank you for your word. You do want us to move forward together. But sometimes we come with this baggage that we don't even know we have. And that we can be lost in just the things that the world places on us. What the bombardment of advertising says, that we are this or that because of this or that. I pray, Father God, that your spirit would speak to each one of us and show us what it means to be the beloved of God. That we might hear afresh who we are in you and that we might take action in those words. That we would consider 
pushing aside anything that gets in the way of hearing you. And that we would take on this sense of being defined by who you say we are and living in the light of that. It can be hard work to unpack what we have done. I pray that Spirit's power upon every person here to pull that apart if it's needed and to be rebuilt in the foundation of who you call us to be, the beloved. We ask this in your Spirit's strength and power in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you very much. I'm going to ask the ministry team to come forward.